what is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. Friday, July 17th, 2020, episode number 142. It is race day. It is race day. Holy, it is race day today. Yeah, tonight. I'm I'm going to be at the track when this thing comes out. It is time for Volusia. It'll probably be I out before tomorrow. Then. I think I'm going to, it's going to be like midnight. I'll post this thing at midnight on Thursday at midnight. Like, just All so right. people can get their fix before a race yep, day. Because this is a good one. We've got a good episode. People, yeah, people are going to want to listen to this one before we get into racing, for sure. Um, And hell, man, we might even... Since we're recording it early in the week, why don't we maybe even maybe a day early? Who knows? You never know what's going to happen later in this week. Hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah. Um, what's going on, Scotty? What you doing, man? Well, just getting ready to uh, head towards Indianapolis. I got a weird travel schedule coming up. As soon as the Volusia's over with, I'll go right back to Indiana and I'll do the Amateur Nationals next week. It'll be three days at Plymouth, Indiana, and then the fourth day at Ashland, Ohio. And then that way I'll have my car there. And then when that's done, I'll head back towards home. So I've got a lot of racing coming up and I'm glad because it's been way too long so yeah we're racing this weekend uh we got an awesome guest that we're going to talk to who has some great insight on the uh the season and the series and all things flat track so it'll be cool to talk to him uh do you have anything else you want to talk about before we uh before we get into talking about this week's guest you're going to be at the racetrack i'll be at the racetrack i'm actually gonna be there thursday there's a practice qualifying night which this will already be out by then and then friday saturday i'll be at the racetrack um hit me up if you want a koozie they're five dollars a piece off the groove koozies nice. and then i'll leave i'll leave from there and fly to indiana for the amateur nationals so i'll have them up there too uh just don't hit me up in the booth because uh, they kind of frown upon that while i'm trying to talk so but if you see me i should have uh, the koozies with me i'll have some off the groove stickers with me but the koozies five dollars a piece and we appreciate it can't be a you can't be slinging koozies while you're spitting on the mic probably probably shouldn't be spitting on the microphones with not with not with the corona out there yeah um anyway so yeah that'll be cool man um look forward to it i'm just i already got my my nbc gold or whatever the hell gold pass whatever they're calling it these days so i got that lined up i'm gonna be watching some some races live looking forward to that um so yeah dude let's let's get into this week's episode uh some big news came out earlier this week and uh i immediately got to my email and shot this guy an email it was just like hey congrats you want to want to come on this week's for to be this week's episode and two seconds later i was on the phone with him and uh lined it up pretty stoked on this one you excited i am too because i've worked with this guy i've announced this guy uh most of my professional career he stepped away just a few years back but um i i really got to know this guy you know working along right beside him as a as a as an announcer uh, and then his farewell to flat track tour me- meant a lot to me because he went to a, a lot of races and I was, I think at every one of them. And he, he gave me something at the end of his career that is very special to me. And I've got the last ever helmet he wore at the grand national at Pomona and what? that's never going anywhere. Yeah. That's staying, it's right behind me. Uh, it stays on the shelf. It's usually in a glass case, but I've got it on the shelf for the AFT show. But, uh, yeah, I've got Chris Carr's last ever grand national helmet. And that means a lot to me, and I can't wait huh. to talk to him because he's got a lot, uh, uh, you know, of insight for the sport. Like you said just a second ago, uh, we could talk literally for hours upon hours about his career and all the different places he's been to and stuff. But I think we'll try to keep it short, but uh, just to get some insight from the seven-time champ, Chris Carr. 
Hello. The seven-time champ, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Carr. What's going on? Not much. How are you there, Dubler? Hey, I am good. It's uh, good to talk to you. It's uh, been a little bit. I guess we talked to leading into that fight club race, and I've got that in my notes to talk about here in just a minute. But uh, I'm happy to see the news that came out. We're going to talk more about that later, too. But congratulations and welcome back to American Flat Track. Uh, thank you. Nice yeah. to be back, I guess, in a small way. Yeah. Well, no, it's yeah. going to be a big way. What, what you can bring to the table with all your experience, I think the fans are really going to enjoy. Well, I hope so. I hope you're right. Yeah. So I want to set the stage basically by saying we could talk months and hours and hours and barely scratch the surface of everything you've done in flat track. But uh, a few things uh, that I really want to touch on is like everybody knows you're from California, but how, how did you get into flat track? Well, I got into flat track because my I, I basically grew up at the Lodi Cycle Bowl. Um, my dad was an amateur racer in the late 60s and early 70s, and Lodi was the closest track. He was a member of the Stockton Motorcycle Club, and there was another club back then called the Stockton Scramblers that, that we were, as a family, were members of, and we ended up becoming honorary members at Lodi. And... Uh, I I grew up around it. You know, I've been watching people go in circles or running TT since uh, I can remember. So it's, uh, you know, it's in my blood. I got you. Did anybody race in the family besides you and your dad? No, I'm an only child. Uh, my dad's an only child. My mom had a had an older brother uh, uh, growing up in North Carolina. So. Uh, there was no racing lineage in our family at all. Okay. So, so do you know why your dad got involved in, in the like in the Lodi Cycle Bowl and the Stockton Motorcycle Club and stuff? Was it just something he fell into? Uh, that's a better question for him. I really, okay. you know, <laughs> it was just a part of life, you know. Yep, yep. I you got know, you. I'm, I mean, I'm right there too. Um, I think the re- the car racing lineage starts and ends with me. I mean, it started with my dad, but it's going to end with me. <laughs> okay, my boys right. don't have any interest in racing, which is fine. You know, I'm 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 happy for their health <laughs> in that yeah. that regard. Did you try anything else other than flat track? I mean, I know you road raced later on in in your career, but as a kid growing up, did you try anything else or just flat track? Uh, I did a little bit of motocross. Um, I didn't really. You know, in my earlier days, I never, you know, stuck with it long enough to really give it a give it a run. I, I enjoyed the speed that flat track had. I liked the smoother tracks. I liked the fact that I could go um, fairly easily and ride, you know, flat track at Lodi. Uh, it was only about six miles from my house. It just it worked for our family. I got gotcha. you. So. What you you've mentioned Lodi a few different times, and then Stockton. I know there's a, a couple different tracks there, or a track inside a different track that we've been out to before. Uh, what other kinds of tracks did you race on as a kid when you first got going? Well, you know, uh, I've been meaning to do this, but I, I I would venture to say, and I've written them down at one time that I raced probably at least 80 different racetracks just in Northern California. Wow. Now, that's not necessarily, um, uh, you know, 80 venues. It's, you know, multiple venues with multiple configurations and different types of preparations. I mean, Lodi, I've probably run six or seven different style TTs out there and probably three different short track configurations through the years and and, and whatnot. And, 
there were a lot of other venues kind of like that, a lot of which are now defunct, but uh, there's still some of the car tracks around that um, we raced on at times growing up. So, I mean, just, just there in Northern California, it was, it was a, a quite a variety uh, during my, my youth. Wow. Not That's so much crazy. today, but um, yeah. it, was, it was pretty fertile ground for breeding flat trackers. So that was a, that's a lot of different tracks. I didn't realize that. I mean, I, I know California is big, but that's a lot of different tracks. Um, how hard was it the transition for you, Chris, to go from amateur to pro? Uh, it wasn't so, wasn't so bad. I, I think for me, you know, I, I was, I had about three years under my belt on a 250 and I was the 1983, my pro novice year was the last year of uh, two strokes. And, uh, so I had been riding, you know, 250 two strokes for, you know, about two and a half years leading up to me turning pro. And, uh, so I was really familiar with the bike and, uh, hit the circuit with my mom or hit the, hit the Midwest for about six weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, took it out of California to see how we stacked up and, uh, Figured out by then, you know, by going to different tracks around the country, and um, I didn't ride a whole lot of half miles. Half miles were pretty new for me, and I found out that the bigger the track, the better I liked it, <laughs> and uh, things things worked out well, and it put me in a position to get a tryout with Ron Wood at the end of my novice year. Wow, and you went on to have so many victories on on the the Ron Wood Road Tax. I mean, uh, I, I remember you know seeing you as a as a kid. I'm not saying that you're that much older than me, but I remember watching you several times up at the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally, and you were on that Ron Wood Road Tax, and you were untouchable. Nobody could even you know hold a candle to you. Well, it was a it was a good motorcycle that you know uh, you know Ron built a it's not a good motorcycle it was a great motorcycle I mean they've stood the test of time they're well built um, you know I won uh, a couple of Daytonas it said Harley on the tank but it was a wood Rotax in disguise and all my Peorias on a wood Rotax and uh, I think uh, you know it would be hard to argue that it's the best all-around flat track motorcycle ever built mm-hmm. it won agree. short tracks it won tts it won half miles and it won miles and uh at the at the grand national level uh at mm-hmm. least for me it did it was a great motorcycle to hone hone your skills as a young rider coming through the ranks and uh it prepared me well to hop on xrs when the time came yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I still have my wood Rotax. I don't think I'll ever let that thing go. I mean, it's just a, a piece of the history and, and, and great memories for me. I got, so I list... got a couple of them <laughs> myself. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. Uh, the list of accomplishments is pretty amazing. I'm going to touch on just a few of them, and then we can talk about some if you want to. But uh, you, your first of the 78 Grand National wins was in 1986 at Peoria, where you said already you went on to win 13 times there. I think you said that. Uh, you were the champion in 92, 99, 2001 through 2005, which included five in a row. So seven-time champ. Uh, what some people forget is you're also a seven-time champ in the 600cc class, uh, 1988 to 93, and then in 95. Uh, you went on to road race in 96, 97. You set land speed records in 06 and 08 with a top speed 
376.36 miles per hour, which is incredible. I don't even know how you did that. 367, actually. 376 okay. is the current record, but okay. my, my right. best was 367, yeah. All right. That's my fault right there. You retired from racing in 2011. Uh, in 2004, you were inducted to the AMA Hall of Fame. And earlier this year, what I read, and I don't know if this actually happened because of the COVID, but you were also inducted to the Motorsports Hall of Fame uh, in March of 2020. So out of all those things, uh, what sticks out to you, Chris? I mean, what what do you, I guess, I know there's so many records to talk about, but what, what comes to mind when I tell you all those things? I don't know. That's a that's a tough question to answer because they they all have meaning in their own ways and on different levels. But if you if you look at it in the in the broad stroke of the flat track world, not very many people can add the Bonneville thing to their resume mm-hmm. um, to the level that I did. So I mean, I'm I'm proud of what I was able to accomplish in a fairly short period of time at Bonneville. I wish uh, there was opportunity to continue to do that um, beyond when I did, um, but it just hasn't worked out. And uh, uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm ecstatic to to be considered one of the one of the you know 14 or 15 other flat trackers to be worthy of the of the Motorsports Hall of Fame. It's quite an honor. It's a kind of a career capping honor, and uh, I'm yeah. proud of that. That's awesome. I mean, there's, like I said, there's so much to talk about. Uh, your road race days, did you enjoy that? I mean, if you would go back, would you, would you have stuck in flat track or, did, you know, I mean, I know it's who made you who you are, but would you go back and do things differently? Would you still go road racing? Uh, I think the, I think the road racing um, actually helped me be a better flat track racer. Um, it slowed flat track down for me and, uh, you know, it gave, when I, when I came back to flat track, I knew that, you know, my days of, of doing anything road racing were pretty much numbered and that if I was gonna, you know, finish out my career, I needed to do it strong. And if anything, the road racing helped, helped slow it down for me a little bit and, gave me uh, some experience to look at things a little bit differently that maybe I hadn't thought of before. You know, prior to going road racing, flat track for me was kind of seat of the pants. And uh, and and uh, during the time that uh, I was road racing, I helped, helped start with Danny Walker, the American Super Camp. And mm-hmm. during that same time, it, I started looking at more about what I could do with the motorcycle rather than what somebody else could do to the motorcycle about getting it around the racetrack. And it, it kind of took my thought process of, of riding to a different level. And okay. uh, I, I kind of put a little bit more ownership on myself to get results rather than you know, having the right tuner. I mean, I had a great tuner in Kenny Tolbert. Don't get me wrong. But I also knew that there were times where maybe how I was riding the bike might make a difference in how it gets through the corner uh, as much more than any tweak that he could, he could dream up of in the pit area. Okay. That's a great answer. I, I, I loved every bit of that. Um, you retired in 2011, your farewell to flat track tour. And I was with you quite a bit. We went to a lot of races, you know, Steve Nace races and grand nationals and all that fun stuff. How hard was it to, 
you know, for you to make that decision? I know we've talked about it, you know, off the record, but how hard was that decision, Chris? Well, at, you know, leading into that year, I knew I was going to turn 44. There weren't very many uh, uh, Grand National champions at that age. I knew that on given days I could be competitive, um, but I couldn't be competitive every day. And I think when I finally came to that stubborn realization <laughs> or stubbornly came to that realization, um, that, that's, that's what made it, you know, made it, made the decision easier. Uh, my entire career, I, I raced to win and to win championships. And I knew that I had gotten to a point where I couldn't win enough races in order to win a championship. And, uh, um, I was start, you know, the fun from a rider standpoint kind of started to go away. I mean, this is a dangerous sport and, uh, if you can't enjoy what you're doing, you don't belong out there because the risks aren't worth it otherwise. And that's, that's kind of how I, I looked at it. And I developed uh, the farewell tour because, you know, uh, everything that I have is something that, you know, I got from, from the sport of flat track and nobody had quite gone out the way I had. And, um, I wanted to make a, I wanted to make it a tour and run as many possible races as I could and get it out of my system. And, uh, and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, haven't I, seen me want to have to come out of retirement <laughs> to go race at AFT level. And, right. uh, and which I, which I never even really considered at all okay. since, uh, since 2011. Yeah. I'll go ride bull tacos here and there every right. now and then, or get on a, get on an Indian if an opportunity came along just to ride one. But, right. um, I, I got, I got the grand national racing out of my system that last year. And, uh, and and it was it was worth every minute of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and you get to you got to say goodbye to a lot of fans. You know, you know they they might not ever see you at the track again. So I thought that was a great idea, and uh, I was glad to be a part of it. Um, roles after racing, you've done quite a quite a few things. The one I want to talk about first is you're a play by play. Actually, you're the color commentator. I was the play by play announcer uh, in in the booth from 2015 to 2016. And I, I just want to say thanks for being such a great partner. I, I learned a lot from you, and um, I thought we gelled pretty well. I thought it was a good time. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that time uh, as well. Uh, it was it was really good uh experience i think uh for me and that it it allowed allowed me an opportunity to just talk about out loud you know what i'm seeing going on throughout the course of a of a day um in the you know i've always been a student of what the track's doing um how that would how that could affect the way you would adjust the motorcycle or adjust yourself as a rider um I was always fascinated by that in my career, and uh, I, I, you know, hope to to share that experience with those that that cared to listen. And uh, it was uh, it was good, you know. But it, you know, it that came on the heels of doing some color work for the Daytona Short Tracks, and I had done a couple of the Lucas Oil shows um, um, throughout the throughout the years as well. So. Um, I, I'm looking forward to my my role on the NBCSN telecast. 
it's not my first uh, trip doing that because uh, I did that a little bit in 2015 and 16 as well. But uh, I'm I'm looking forward to the return and uh, the opportunity to 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 share what I see uh, going on on my favorite sport. You, you kind of just touched on that a little bit. My next question was, what do you think you can bring to the broadcast? And I guess all your expert expertise, but but you know what else? What's going to be different? Do you think that you know having you there? Well, I think I I take a wider view. Um, of, you know, there's a whole lot of extenuating circumstances that are going on. I think um, what I can bring to the table is uh, um, some of the mental insight that it's going to take in order to to win a championship this year. There's a whole lot of new and there's a whole lot of different and how that may affect some riders versus others. Um, you've got you've got twins guys moving down the singles. Um, you've got a couple young singles riders moving up to super twins. And uh, I think there's a whole lot of new out there. And we've got a you know fairly oval centric uh, uh, schedule, and uh, it's it's going to be about the riders um, as much as it is going to be about the bikes. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to to bringing my years of experience into that and and inter interweaving that with with all the new that's uh, facing today's riders. A couple of new tracks for the riders. I know some of the mechanics have been to these tracks before, but you know Volusia's uh, brand new on the Grand National Circuit. We're going back to Devil's Bowl. You raced there. I've raced there before. Um, how hard is it for some of these up-and-comers, some of these kids have never been to these racetracks, or does it even matter anymore? These kids have grown up racing their whole lives. Does the new track matter that much? Well, I think if it, it depends on if a rider growing up visited a lot of different places. You know, we see a lot we see a lot of riders, you know, they you know, if they're from a, the ones that struggled the most are the ones that kind of stayed in their own region growing up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then attempt to become a pro racer at the AFT level and they find themselves starting to travel for the first time. Um, uh, case in point, you got a young kid like Dallas Daniels, who's in his, you know, hasn't even had a full year yet. His extensive amateur background of racing a lot of different places is kind of, you know, uh, doesn't really come into play because he's been to so many different places as a 16, 17 year old. Mm-hmm. He's got a, a, a very broad base of experience on different types of tracks. I don't see it affecting somebody like him as much as it would maybe uh, um, an Aiden Rusevans who's, um, you know, coming into his first full year who may have raced primarily in Illinois um, uh, growing up. Okay. I like that. Great answer. Um, What about timed races? What are your thoughts on that? I know it works for Supercross. It works really well for TV. It's something brand new for flat track. Um, I I like the idea, um, like when you go to a short track, you know, if you're only going 10 or 15 laps, whatever you might be done in three and a half minutes. But now we got timed events. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's one of the new things. It's going to be interesting to see who adjusts well to that. Those who do the math uh, in advance and have a pretty good idea, I think after about the third or fourth race, everybody will catch on. But, uh, you know, if you look at the singles and and, the the singles class, let's say uh, at at Volusia, for example, you know, 
they're capable of 21 second lap times. Their main events are going to jump from 15 laps to probably 24 or 25 laps. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, a place like Devil's Bowl, they you know they run in the low 22s. So a lot of the a lot of the tracks that they went to previously that that you know, especially the 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 smaller tracks, you know, that are that are considered half miles. Are basically short tracks on steroids, so that they're they're going to have to maybe change their strategies a little bit, um, and uh, you know they don't they don't have much in the way of choice on tire, but tire management may become an issue at certain certain tracks. So I, I think it will introduce some some new obstacles for riders to overcome that um, maybe uh, they didn't worry about much when uh, when it was just a 15 lap race. Yeah, and it's I think, the same you know, for production twins too. Correct. Yeah, and I think you know rider, you know rider fatigue might be a factor too. You know, like you mentioned, you know going 15 laps before, now they're possibly going 22 laps all out. That might be a factor as well. Um, let's talk super twins just a little bit. Uh, Briar's going to be trying to defend his title. Um, what do you think his chances are? Well, I, I'd say they're um, they're better than they were a year ago at this time. You know, I should say the beginning of 2019 because a year ago we were half halfway through uh, the 19th season. Right. Um, but I, I would say uh, he he knows that he's capable. Um, the schedule, um, the change in schedule hurts him in some areas, but helps him in others. Um, I think uh, if there's any any rider that has the most advantage on, on the new schedule would be me based on his years of experience. Um, but it's hard to argue that Briar Bauman isn't the best rider on the circuit, not because he's wearing the number one plate, because the guy has got a skill set on unparalleled right now. And, uh, I would, it would be hard to argue that Jared Mees isn't the best racer. So, which one comes about? I think as soon as Bauman learns how to race Mies a little bit better, I think uh, he could be unstoppable for a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you too. Uh, Mies is ferocious, and he does not like to lose. And I know he doesn't like having that uh, number. You know, he doesn't like not having the number one plate on his bike. So, how how hard do you think he's gonna be charging? You know, right off the bat, you know, you got to get going in a hurry. And uh, you know, double header weekends. I think Mies is gonna be. You know he's going to be hungry. I think he's going to be the one to beat down there at Volusia. I would say Jared's the guy to beat. He's got probably more laps on a twin than anybody around uh, Volusia in the last 15 years. Um, he's raced there a lot. He was always, you know, and that's the thing about Jared is that, you know, he was never the best rider, but he raced a lot. He's learned how to win when he shouldn't or when nobody thought he could. And that's what that's how you win five championships, um, like he has. Uh, he he wins on days that people don't expect him to. And uh, I think um, in Bauman's case, uh, he's so good of a rider, and he really blossomed throughout 2019, and I think surprised a lot of us um, in a good way. And uh, I expect that to continue to flourish. Um, so I, I look forward to seeing those guys. And heck, you know, little brother Bronson, he might he might come into the mix. There's a lot of people thinking growing up that Bronson was the better of the two riders of the Bauman brothers. 
and um, uh, he he might flourish as well. It'd be very interesting to watch. Yeah. Um, before we went to the Daytona TT earlier this year, before it got canceled or postponed, I should say, um, Davis Fisher put a move on Meese that I haven't seen at Volusia before, and it's because the track was had a nice wide groove, but Fisher was stalking Meese for most of the race, and then he went in around uh, Meese on the last lap in turn number three. Um, do you think Fisher's got a shot going into the national or who el anybody else we should be keeping an eye out for? Well, it's interesting you say that because I, 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 you know, I reached out and said, uh, I reached out to Jared and say, what the hell you let a kid beat you pass you around the outside. What's going on? And, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the reality is they were on, they were on different tires. Um, and, I'm not making excuses for Jared, but um, Jared's been putting in work on the new Dunlops. Um, those that haven't been are going might might find it a little difficult to adjust to them. Um, they they are different. They may be the same compound designator, um, but they are a different tire and they react differently going around the racetrack. So I think that there's some advantage to some of the the older riders in that area. And it's my understanding that Davis was on one of the older tires. Okay. Um, and and Jared was on the new one, so uh, it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. That's a, that's another part of new that um, uh, could very well play into things this year, and I think that's a that's a storyline that will definitely need to be followed. Okay, I love that um, production twins. Last year, Corey Texter reached out to you, and you're kind of a rider coach there for uh, look like about the last three or four, maybe rounds or maybe longer than that. Um, do you think he can back up his championship and win the number one plate again? Uh, he's certainly capable of it. Um, he's, he's confident. He's, um, you know, he's, if you listen to him, you know, he's, uh, you know, he, he feels like he's in the best shape he's been in. He's got some additions to uh, some equipment choices to his program. Um, uh, I don't see any reason why he can't start off 2020 like he did 2019, and that's okay. uh, that's winning some races right off the bat. I think uh, I think the important thing for Corey is to to get off to a good start, and uh, he he did that a year ago through preparation, and uh, uh, I think from his end he's prepared to do it again. So yeah, I, th I think he's going to be the guy to beat week in okay. and week out. All right. I'm right there. I like that. You know, a lot of half miles, which uh, seem to fit his style too. just one mile uh, or two miles at Springfield. But uh, let's talk about AFT singles class um, for the last couple of seasons. Uh, to me, it's been some of the best racing. And now you throw another another top notch rider in there with Henry Wiles uh, in that class. Um, I, I, I don't think I can pick a, a race winner at any round, uh, much less the championship. Uh, what are your thoughts on the AFT singles class for 2020? I think it's wide open. Uh, I really do. Uh, you know, certainly an oval-centric uh, schedule uh, favors Shayna Texter. Um, in the class, she's the most experienced um, in class. Um, and, and then when you've got a guy like Henry uh, coming in there who will certainly be a, be a threat on, uh, on the, you know, the, the lone TT in Springfield, uh, I don't think he's as much of a, a favorite on some of the other tracks. I mean, the guy is a very accomplished AFT racer. Don't get me wrong. He's got what, 30 or 31 wins or something like that. 
Um, but primarily they've been on, uh, you know, elbow dropping, uh, cushion style bull rings with the exception of, uh, Lima and the Pomona half mile that he won. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the only car track he won a national on was, uh, was gas city, Indiana. So I don't see him, um, at first, uh, he's, it's going to be important, I think for him to make some adjustments in how he rides the 450 on the, on the bigger ovals, um, that he's not accustomed to riding. And you got to remember he's coming off riding an Indian for the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, one of the bikes that redefined traction and, uh, getting a 450 to hook up on any racetrack is much more difficult than it is, uh, uh, you know, a V twin with legs. And, uh, so I think, I think, uh, he's in for an, an adjustment period, uh, initially, and um, as long as they don't chase their tails too much, uh, it'd be, be interesting to see how, how that develops over the course of the year. But I'm, I wouldn't about, put him as a shoe-in right now because of okay. who he is or what he's done. What about Mikey Rush? I mean, he's, he's moving on over to Estenson Racing, and he'll be teammates with Dallas Daniels. I think that team's going to be really tough. I think uh, they're a pretty good one-two punch. Uh, um, I think it would be fair to say that Mikey's a better 450 rider than he is a twins rider. Not to say that he was bad on twins. He's got a broad base of experience, but he's certainly at home on the 450s. And uh, he had some really, really good runs last year. And uh, I expect that um, he's in a position right now to give uh, Shana uh, a run for week in and week out. Awesome. Uh, there's a couple other riders we haven't talked about. I mean, Chad Coast might be a factor. Of course, there's there's so many riders in that class that could win week in and week out. Um, you know, we got Wells in there. Uh, Janish going to show up here and there. You know, there, there's anybody. Um, let's talk something else new before we let you go. But uh, AFT announced just recently that they're going to have a trained motorsports medical staff on hand ready to roll out in that Honda Talon. Um, I think that's a huge step for us. Uh, I speak, I say us as in flat track, as in the racing community. I think that's great. It is, you know, it's, it's the next, next step in progression. Um, I know that, uh, you know, my other previous job down there in Daytona as their chief competition officer, um, we were looking into that a few years ago and it's, I'm glad to see that, um, they've been able to grab that and, and, and bring it, bring it to the track and make it a reality. Um, uh, Dr. Ray Rossi, I've known for, known of for over 20 years based out of Colorado, um, has an extensive motorcycle racing background, uh, more on the road racing side here in the U S than anywhere else. He's a he's a great addition uh, to the to the series, and I think he he'll be very good as a as a go between uh, um, with with injured riders and and on site medical staff, and 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 I, I think he'll be very b- beneficial for both sides, and in the end, the riders uh, benefit from that the most, obviously. So I, I think it's a it's a great move, and I'm uh, I applaud AFT for for making that a reality. Yeah, I absolutely do, too. I know there's so many things we can talk about, Chris, but uh, I won't keep you much longer. I can't wait to hear you on NBC Sports. Um, we're almost near the end of the episode, but before we get there, it's time for Graham's question. And you know Graham. She's a fan of yours. She has been for many years. She used to sit with your mom and dad at Springfield, uh, especially at the short track and the TT. But her question to you is, have you been able to go fishing and spend some time with your dad and just relax some? 
Uh, I haven't gone fishing because I'm not a big fisherman. That's more Kenny Tolbert. Uh, I'd go with him. Yeah. But uh, but Pops was up uh, around the 4th of July, and he got to spend a week up here with us, uh, with the family. So it was nice to hang out with him. And, uh, of course, he was over at uh, he was over at Fight Club as well last month. So I've got a, got a good chance to spend some time with Dad uh, over the last month. And uh, I'm sure somewhere along the way our paths are going to cross again here pretty soon. That's good. Well, you brought up the Fight Club, and I just want to say that I didn't have you picked to be in the top two. But you were impressive, and Chris, I think you got faster and faster. I would have loved to have seen the lap times because you were, you were getting more and more dialed in on that motorcycle as the night went on, and, and I think you had something there for Jared. Maybe if the format would have been a little bit different so you could get a little bit of a break. Well, it's interesting you say that. You know, uh, originally the final was going to be a, was going to be a one and done. You know that you bet, did best two out of three, and the final was going to be one and done. And yeah. I, I kind of raised my hand and said, "Well, why would you do that?" I said, <laughs> "You had best two out of three along the way, and in hindsight, you know, if they had left it alone, I might have been the winner. But uh, <laughs> nobody would want to win on somebody else's DNF in that kind of format. So, uh, I, you know, the the results ended up being probably what they should have." You know, and uh, but I, I look I look back on that experience and it was just a uh, it was a fun time. Um, it came at a time I I think I mean maybe a couple weeks sooner might have been better for everybody, but uh, it was uh, it was a great opportunity to to go elbow to elbow with Parker and Cop again, and then of course to get on the track with Jared was a lot of fun, and uh, uh, it was an experience I'll remember for a long time. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be another one? Do you think there'll be a Fight Club too? Hey, anything's possible. I hope so. Yeah, Whether it's too. the same type of format, you know, these guys are getting ready to kick off here pretty soon, and you know, I know they got 18 races coming up in the in the next uh, 14 weeks, and uh, I think it'd be be kind of a lot to ask of a current rider to to do something like that on an off weekend. But uh, never know. Maybe something will pop up over the winter time and. Uh, We'll have a chance to do it again. We'll see. Sounds, sounds good. I really enjoyed it. I was glad you were part of it. And like I said, you're getting faster each time on the motorcycle. Um, to wrap things up, we have rapid-fire questions. So first thing that pops into mind when I ask the next few questions, are you ready? Yeah. Favorite bike you've ever ridden? C&J Frame 676 Rotax, built All by right. Kate Tolbert. All right. I was thinking wood road Texas is going to come out of your mouth, but I like that one better. That 676 was a beast. I remember yep. on that, on that bike so many times, what's your favorite racetrack? And this could be road racing, flat track could be one you've never been to just favorite racetrack. If there was only one track, I would be allowed to ride. Uh, unfortunately it doesn't exist anymore, but the old Savannah before they redesigned, it's my favorite oval. Oh, I, if yeah. that was the only place I'd be allowed to ride old Savannah would be great. Okay, I got you. I was kind of assuming you'd say Peoria just because you had so much success there. But as we get older, Chris, it might not be so fun to keep riding there. <laughs> yep. Well, if I had maybe won some more races there the last 10 years that I rode there, uh, that would have been it, but not this time. I got you. All right. Uh, up next, who's your, your favorite flat track of all time? Like, who did you look up to or who did you like to watch? I grew up, my biggest influences uh, growing up, not necessarily as a pro, but growing up were the Jorgensen brothers. 
uh, Alex, uh, former national number 44, who went on to win 10 nationals, and his younger brother, Kim, uh, uh, the father of uh, the late Toby Jorgensen. Those were the two guys that I watched a lot, and uh, watching those guys battle against the Davidson brothers in Northern California, and old guys like Jim Foley, and, uh, and there's a whole the Lebo, uh, John Lebo Sr. I mean, there was a lot of guys, a lot of smooth racers from Northern California that tried to emulate, and uh, those guys uh, influenced me more than any of the you know, current guys, uh, or I should say the, the guys that I ultimately ended up racing against. That's awesome. I, I love that. I, I wasn't expecting that answer at all. So uh, who's your favorite person to go bench racing with? Favorite favorite bench racer? Yeah. I, I would have to say um, my mom. God rest awesome. her soul. Yeah. You know, bench racing with her was always always a great time, and I missed that. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you do. She was awesome. Um, favorite thing that you've ever heard from a race fan? Ooh, man, I've heard a lot, uh, good and bad, <laughs> from race fans <laughs> through the years. You know, when you're around long enough, you're going to uh -huh. hear it from both sides. Um, I, I, you know, I, I can't say that I uh, – I think the, the one time – uh, I signed an autograph um, uh, to a kid by the name of Kale, with the same spelling as my son Kale. Um, we named him because he was unique. You know, we named him Kale, kind of after Kale Yarborough. But no, I haven't signed very many, very many autographs. But when a, a kid came up, can could you sign that to Kale? That's that was my favorite moment. That's cool. That's cool. So, who's the next first-time champion? Uh, which class? Let's go Super Twins. Next first-time champion in Super Twins, um, I'm going to say out of the guys that are there currently, uh, Bronson Bauman has the best chance. Okay. But it might take a few years. All right. Since you brought that up, what about Production Twins? Do you have a, a first-time champion there? Uh, I think the best bet there uh, could very well be uh, James Rispoli. Okay. Yep, I like that. And then AFT singles. Shane the texture. Okay. I like it. Last course, question. Henry, Henry, Henry Wiles, Henry Wiles, you know, you never know. He yeah. ha I mean, he's won a, a a singles championship, but not okay. AFT singles. So uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of confusing. Right on. Last question. We borrow this one from Dave Despain, but what are you most proud of? I left the sport better than when I got there. Awesome. Chris Carr, thanks so much for your time. I'm glad you're you're working back in, in, in the sport that we both love so much, and uh, I wish you a lot of success on the NBC Sports side. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Scotty, and uh, keep up the great work on, the, on behalf of Flat Track. Thanks, man. Do you want to say thanks to anybody before we let you go? Uh, I want to thank all those that are listening out there, and uh, keep tuning in to Flat Track in, in whatever medium that they have. Um, it's a, you know, it's a 60, what, six year old sport now. And, uh, without their support, it wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be ticking along. So, uh, I'm hopeful that another 66 more years are at minimum or in the, in its future.
Sounds good. Hey, uh, one more thing. Next time we talk to Tolbert, tell him he needs to come on our, our podcast, all right? Because I call him, and and sometimes his voicemail is full. Sometimes he you know he, he blocks my calls and all this stuff. So next time you talk to him, help me out, would you? Well, I, I tell you what, Scotty, that's probably a hint that he what it's not that he doesn't like you, that he just doesn't want to. <laughs> I know, but I'm, I want him on here so bad. He tells me he'll do it every time I see him, but then he just kind of walks off. So I, I'm, I'm getting the hint, but I just really want to have him on here. He, he's got so much knowledge. I'd love to pick his brain. Yeah, and you'd have to get the beeper button ready. So there you go. <laughs> Chris, thanks again so much for your time, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Sounds good, Scotty. Thank you. Thank you. That dude is a legend. He, he's awesome. You know, he, he can articulate things that some people can't put into words about what's going on out there on the racetrack. Even, even you know, I try not to get too, dive into it too deep. He has no problem with it, and he can relate it to people so they can understand it. And I think that's great. He's going to be doing a fantastic job on TV. Absolutely. I remember being at the track with him, and uh, like when I didn't really understand what was going on or what was in a rider's head, he was always great to go talk to. He always had a, a good uh, perspective and an insight, and it was always great to work with him. Looking forward to him being back in, in the uh, flat track fold and uh, at least hearing his, his voice uh, on these NBC shows every week. What else, dude? You're, well, you're like hours just, away I, from going racing. I know. So there, there are. There is one more thing. I guess people were confused when that announcement came out. They were worried that I lost my job or Brad Baker lost his job. That's not the case. No. I will be doing play-by-play for the live event crowd and for the NBC Gold uh, package deal. And Brad Baker will be with me. That's awesome. Uh, they also brought on Ricky Rackman. We may have him on eventually. Uh, he's going to be kind of helping out with the broadcast a little bit. We're we're really not sure what his defined role is. Uh, and he's not either, but he's just there. He's a huge race fan. He's been a part of NASCAR for 17 years, and he's coming over to uh, check out some flat track, and he'll have the microphone a little bit. Kristen Beat will do, be doing some of the stuff with us, and she'll be on the NBC uh, NBC show with uh, Jason Wygant and Chris Carr. That's awesome, man. Hell of a lineup for uh, for the 2020 season, man. Look forward to getting kicked off this weekend. And uh, who knows, man, maybe you should talk to Brad and maybe come on next week and talk through some uh, – uh, some of the events uh, from the race weekend, uh, round one and two of the 2020 season. And it's exciting. And, you know, used to, Chris, we used to kind of get into who we thought was going to do good Yeah. Uh, before the races. And I don't like showing favoritism or anything like that. So we're going to leave this one alone. Carver. It's a brand new track. Yeah, you're picking Carver. It's all right. It's a brand new track on the Grand National schedule. A lot of racers have raced there growing up and coming through, uh, usually leading up to the Daytona races. But uh, it's going to be a great night of racing, uh, both nights actually back-to-back. And uh, it's not going to surprise me if the same people that do good on Friday night do good on Saturday night. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case every race we go to, but I definitely think here this first weekend it will be. Uh, I'm going to go – I'm going to say a little different. I think there's people that are going to learn – from that first night and change it up um i think it'll be two different winners both nights i don't know who's i I said carver i just want carver to win just because of his story um but i don't know man it is it it could be anybody in in every any class really it's it's going to be very interesting nobody's really raced this track as a national it it puts a little bit more intensity around it uh, a little bit more prestige around it as a national and uh who knows dude like some people are going to be hungry they're all hungry, Chris. It's been over 290 days since yeah. we had a Grand National, that's and that's probably the longest break in history. So these guys need to make a paycheck. They want to make a paycheck, and they, they want to get back on top of the box. I mean, you know, some of these guys have been racing these other little races and, and Steve Nace races and other 
you know, outlaw races and stuff like that, but there's nothing like winning a Grand National. So everybody wants to do that, and that's what they're all gunning for. Stoked, man. Can't wait to see these riders get out there and get after it. Less talky, more flat tracky. Let's do it. Sounds good. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy watching the races on uh, the Gold Pass, and I'm going to have some fun, and we'll talk to everybody next Friday. All right, homie. We'll talk later. Peace. Later. Jump, jump. Mad, mad, make you. Jump, jump. Somebody kind of rhyme, but they can't rhyme like this. What? Because I'm the making, the making, the making, the making, the mag, baby. Or my pants to the back. I'm the making, the making, the making, the making, the mag.